My bad, I didn't turn it on. Hey, good morning. That sucks. Let's try that again. Good morning. Yes. Welcome. It's good to be with you again. I took, got to uh, take a week off last week and uh, have some fun with my boys, and uh, it's just fun to be back again. Um, I've been reading this book by Neil deGrasse Tyson called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. And that's me. I, you don't probably know this about me, but I absolutely love science. I'm a science guy. And this book begins with Neil talking about the current scientific thinking about how the universe started. He talks about astrophysics and all the measurable evidence that they can see nowadays and, and all the laws of nature as we currently understand them and how they play out. And his, his opening statement, which is the current science perspective, his opening statement of the book says this. In the beginning, nearly 14 billion years ago, all the space, all the matter, all the energy of the known universe was contained in a volume less than one trillionth the size of the period that ends this sentence. It's like, really? Okay, think about that. Conditions were so hot that the basic forces of nature that collectively describe the universe were unified. Though still unknown how it came into existence, this sub-pinpoint cosmos could only expand rapidly in today what we call the Big Bang. And then he describes Einstein and what he discovered and other minds who've been researching this, minds way smarter than mine and probably a lot of years too, that discovered a whole bunch of things and they put all of this together and they've come up with these theories on how it works. And they talk through um, the theories of, uh, of quantum mechanics and laws of gravity and quantum gravity, which is a new thing they're still trying to work through. But where it came from? Don't know. And I find it simply fascinating. Science can't explain it. But the launch of the new James Webb uh, telescope coming two years from now is going to replace the Hubble. You guys excited for that? Yeah, yeah. That's going to be able to see so far into our past, into the history and the universe. It's, it's, we're going to learn so many new things. And we may come up with a whole new theory and say, boy, what we think now is so wrong. There is so much that science can explain, but there's a lot that science cannot explain. So why did I bring this all up? Because we're here. You are here sitting in this tent, thinking, dreaming, planning your future, trying to pick up some good ideas. You're, maybe you're just thinking about what's for lunch because this guy's already boring. He's talking about science. All these things are going on because we are here. And the Bible says that God created, and I believe he did. Did he start by creating all the laws of nature, and once he created all those and how things are going to work, then he said, oh, I'm going to make this little pinpoint thing that Neil was talking about, and then I'm going to just set it over here, and I'm going to take a step back, and I'm going to go, bang! And the whole thing starts, and everything expands according to the laws that he already created before. Is that what happened? Truth is, we don't know. The current theories we have today will probably be different 50 years from now. In fact, you know what I think they're going to find out? The world was actually created in 1982. 
And all of you were created with a past and with a history and all of your memories. It's just like you've all been duped. It's probably, you know, God's probably going to laugh at that one. But anyways, we can't fully explain it. And surely we cannot explain the details of how you and I got to be in this tent right now. But that we are here, that's undeniable. So I want to begin our day by making an observation. Adults don't become Christians because all of their questions about God are answered. Rather, adults become Christ followers when something happens. When something happens that shrinks their questions, and that something is always very personal. It enables us adults to carry questions of faith with us across the line of faith. There's a path to God that can go around your objections and not directly through your objections. And as much as that sounds like it insults our intellect, it shouldn't. And I'll tell you why. Because you do it all the time. In fact, you exercise this path in a lot of different areas of your life. You do it whenever you allow what is unexplainable to be overshadowed by what is really undeniable. Whatever is undeniable trumps what is unexplainable. So today we're going to explore a story in the New Testament recorded by John, one of the disciples of Jesus, and they encounter this blind man while they're walking through Jerusalem. And we're going to pick up the story as John tells it. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, the first century, the Jews believed that trouble in your life was a result of sin. Either your sin, something bad that you did, or the sin of your parents that's been passed down to you. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to use this question to clarify and explain what God is like. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, I, for one, when I take a moment and just get back and be honest, that's a little uncomfortable for me to think about, that God allows a guy to be born blind just so that he could teach people around or teach us a lesson. I don't, that's something I don't fully understand, but the story goes on. It gets really weird after that. <laughs> Having said this, he spit on the ground, which I guess Mary didn't cover when he was growing up, like Jesus, you know, don't, don't spit on the ground. And then he goes and plays with it. He picks it up some dirt, and he kind of makes the mud out of it with a saliva, which sounds really gross. And then he puts it on the man's eyes. Now, now pause to think about that scene for a moment. This guy's blind. He's a beggar. He's probably used to people spitting all the time. And some guy is... <coughs> squish, 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 squish. And then walks up and just shoves it in his eye. I mean... I mean, it had to probably be, feel pretty demeaning to him, or at least it felt weird. But then Jesus says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means sent. And here's a picture of it. There it is. And so the man went and he washed. And he came home seeing. For the first time in his life, he could see. 
And the story picks up steam now. So his neighbors and those around who had formerly seen him begged him and begged and asked, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. That's where that phrase came from, by the way. <laughs> Do you know why people raise questions about this? They raise questions because to them, it didn't make any sense. This blind guy who they've seen for years begging now sees. This can't be the same blind guy. Blind people just don't start seeing. There's no way to explain that. And John goes on. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. What is your explanation? He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. And then they asked a really stupid question. Where is this man, they asked him. Like, point him out. Where is he? I don't know, he said. And if they would have expanded, he would have said, I was blind until a few minutes ago. I never saw the guy. Of course he didn't remember. So they brought in the Pharisees, the professional religious people, for the man had been, for the man who had been blind. And this is what they're supposed to do. So back in the day, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. And one of the things they were doing, they were the ones who were supposed to be looking for the Messiah, for the coming Messiah, the Son of God. So they were looking out for miracles. And then if only a Messiah could do a miracle like this. So they brought him to, to the Pharisees because this was only a miracle that a Messiah could perform. And now, John goes on, now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Ooh. The crowd hushed because Pharisees didn't believe the Messiah would heal on the Sabbath. No work was allowed on the Sabbath. There was no healing then either. Therefore, the Pharisees, who asked him now how he had received this sight, he, he put mud on the, or he asked him how he did it. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. At this point, the story spirals into ridiculousness. And it also becomes incredibly relevant for you and me. See, we all have God in a box. We say, here's how God works. So if I do this and I pray this way, things will happen. A plus B should equal C. And when it doesn't work the way we expect, we think he's either not listening or he doesn't care or maybe he simply just doesn't exist. We all put God in a box, and so do the Pharisees. And they said God would never, never do a miracle on the Sabbath. It's not possible. It's unexplainable how this man could be healed by God on the Sabbath. It doesn't fit our understanding of God. So it doesn't fit in our box. It can't be true. John continues. Some of the Pharisees then said, well, this man is not from God. And they labeled Jesus a sinner. But others asked, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. And notice something with me. The Pharisees may not be able to explain it, but the healing is also undeniable. 
And so they have to choose. They become divided. They have to choose. They choose the unexplainable, or do they choose the undeniable? It's unexplainable that God would heal on the Sabbath. But it's undeniable that the man who could never see can now see. They've got to choose. And John goes on. He says, finally, and, and this is great, they turn to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes that were open. I think a great question. How many times have you told him this already? So he says it again. He says, well, he's a prophet, which means he's from God. The Jews still not believe, did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the, so they sent for the man's parents. They can't accept that he was born blind because it doesn't fit into their box and their view of God. You know where I've seen some of that thinking occur a lot, that phenomenon, it occurs in marriages. Brady and I talk a little bit about this. Um, we will, we'll, we'd sit down with a couple and we'll listen to the whole relationship and how that relationship progressed and then it disintegrated, how trust got broken, how words were said, and how it looks like it's just over and it's not recoverable. And both minds, if they both stay closed to change, it is going to be over. We put our spouse in a box that they'll never change. We also put ourselves in a box and begin to believe that that's just the way it is. Some things will never change. Thank you, Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> but for a number of you, it didn't end there. The pain of the marriage pit, the pain of saying out loud that everything I've been working for and everything we've been doing for the last seven years or eight years or ten years is going to be destroyed. It's going to be gone. And maybe it caused us to take a look at ourselves, at the pain in ourselves, and to say, I think I own maybe just a little bit or some of this responsibility. And maybe we were challenged to stop trying to change the other person and say, what can I change? I can begin to change myself. And through counseling and through a focused time of self-reflection, self-inspection, with a good friend or a gifted counselor or a gifted guide, they begin to see their own brokenness, their own faults. And finally, after years of resisting, they decide to let God into that part of their life that they hadn't had God in before. And things begin to change. And a new excitement is born. And God, you and God, you, God, working with a counselor or a friend, begin to carve a new path for your life. You begin to transform how you see yourself today and how you see your place in life. And you begin bringing wholeness to your life. And you and people around you begin to see a change. And the change is evident. And maybe throughout this time, you've been separated from your ex. And your ex starts to hear some things about you and they go, I don't believe it. That can't be true. It's not believable. And when you look in the mirror and you take a step and say, I'm going to apologize, and you walk over and you begin apologize, make an apology, and instead of it being received by your ex, you run into a buzzsaw because he, hasn't, he still has you in this box and he still has himself in this box and your relationship in the box that was created. And he's blind to the evidence. He refuses to see the change in your life, the growing heart, the gratefulness, the compassion, the drinking less, whatever it is that's been changing in your life. 
and he has a choice to make. Is it unexplainable? Or is the evidence right in front of my face undeniable? And if he chooses the unexplainable, just can't be, can't be true, I can't explain it, it's probably done. It's not going to get fixed. But if he chooses the undeniable, acknowledging the evidence right in front of his face, there's hope. And maybe that inspires him to take similar steps as his wife, discovering his part in the failure, admitting where he was wrong. And that box that he put his wife in, the box that he put his relationship in, is different. It's changed. And hope becomes alive for him too. And there's hope for the marriage because what he had predecided already about his spouse just isn't true anymore. And there are a number of you that have walked this path or are walking this path right now. And we are so grateful. It is one of the most important paths to walk. Don't allow some of those things to stay in a box. We all, in our lives, we put God in a box. We decide what God should do and what God can't do. But what if we're wrong? Are you willing to acknowledge you might be wrong? about God, about other things in our lives? Okay, let's go back to the Pharisees. They sent for this blind guy's parents. They say, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say, I love the accusation here. It's like they put mom and dad on trial now. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and... We know that he was born blind. That's undeniable. But how can he see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Then John gives us a really important detail. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, they would be put out of the synagogue. They'd be kicked out of church. And that was a big deal. I know some of you are wishing right now, I wish I was kicked out of church. But for them, back then, it was a big deal because you were no longer to take certain jobs that you were able to take before. You were ceremonially unclean. You were socially not acceptable anymore. And they didn't want to get kicked out of the church. And the Pharisees had already decided that if the information that they received from the parents didn't fit in their box, they didn't care. Any explanation that included Jesus was unacceptable. Any explanation that included working on the Sabbath was unacceptable. And they said, we want to know how this happened. But you need to define what happened, said the Pharisees, in the terms that we've already decided. John goes on. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man, pointed over at Jesus, is a sinner. They're saying, this is your last chance, Mr. Formerly Blind Guy. How did this happen? Don't say Jesus. He's a sinner. Give us a better answer. And the guy replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see. You may not like my explanation, but it's true. 
Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you bozos already. Well, maybe bozos wasn't in there. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Oh, that had to sting. Then they hurled insults at him. I mean, think about it. It's the best day of this guy's life. He's finally able to see. And the result is they're throwing insults at him. And then they said, we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, this Jesus guy, we don't even know where he comes from. And now this blind guy, he's getting a little bolder here. He says, well, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they tossed him out. They threw him out of the synagogue, which was really a big deal. This isn't the first time or probably the last time people have been thrown out of a synagogue or church. Church throughout Galileo when he gave evidence that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. Ask a guy named John Kepler. Or because like, because like us, the church is guilty of putting God in a box. John goes on. Jesus heard now that they had thrown him out. And when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. So what does that mean for you and me? I'm going to share a thought. Every once in a while, someone asks me, do you ever doubt all this stuff? I mean, you guys are so confident on stage, but in your private life or when you're meeting with people or when you see things happen and people ask you hard questions, do you ever doubt? And I always give the same answer. Yes, I do. I doubt. Here's the thing. I always doubt when I focus on what is unexplainable. I tend to doubt a lot less when I focus on what is undeniable. I begin to doubt when I forget what God has done. And I begin to focus on the things that I just can't get God to do. When I focus on marriages and talk with some of you guys and they still don't make it, it makes me doubt. When I read about the blind man and the paralyzed man in the Bible, and yet as much as I pray that my paralyzed son will walk again sometime and wake up tomorrow morning and walk, and it doesn't happen, my guts still have doubts. As much as I pray that some of you who are hurting and continue to hurt, and it doesn't change, I doubt. And when I wonder why God is not intervening sometimes in the horrible, stupid things that happen around us and in this world, I get doubt. But then I see the people that God brings around my family and you guys in marriages when they're in trouble. And some of these things are just completely unexplainable, but they're undeniable how they are happening in our lives. And God doesn't do everything I want. But what I have seen is how undeniable he is in being present and active in my life, in my family's life, in your lives. So yeah, I doubt. 
Faith grows when we focus on the undeniable and not on the unexplainable. Our universe is full of things we can't understand. We touched on that a little bit earlier. We knew there were moons orbiting around planets well before we could ever see the moons because each planet had a predictable, odd shift in its... What do you call that again? Orbit. No. Rotation. Thank you. I thought I was a science guy. I guess I'm not. So... Something was tugging on that planet before we could ever see it until we launched the Hubble Space Telescope, and then we could see it. There's this stuff in the universe that they can't figure out. They're calling it dark matter. It is six times the mass of the visible universe that we see of all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies. This stuff, there's six times more of it. The evidence is there, but we don't know what it is. We can't find it. We can't see it. Something is out there. Not too long ago in our history, we didn't know about bacteria and viruses because we didn't have the tools to see things that small. Yeah, just because we didn't see them didn't prevent us from getting sick and getting infected. It was the sickness was undeniable, but their cause was unexplainable at the time. Here's what I know is undeniable. 2,000 years ago, a guy from Nazareth shows up in Galilee. He's a carpenter's son, and he's got a bizarre message. He's telling us to pray for and love our enemies. He teaches us things that are so counterintuitive. He teaches us to love people that hurt us. And we should have never heard the name of Jesus. He should have never made it out of a second generation. But he did something else. He said, I will die, and then I'll rise again. And hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses around the world saw it in that, or in that area and said, he did it. And then they gave their lives, not for what they believed, they said they believed, they gave their lives for what they saw, a dead man who came to life again. And today, 2,000 years later, all over the world, in languages we've never heard of, people are telling a story of how they've had a personal interaction with Jesus Christ. And what is undeniable is that people all over the world have embraced their Heavenly Father because Jesus invited us too. They've embraced Jesus as their personal Savior and their lives have been radically changed. Friends, I'm not here to convince you. I, I can't convince you. Because the truth is there's a lot of God and a lot of life that I don't understand and I can't explain. But here's one thing I believe to my core that if I'm fully able to comprehend and understand everything about the God that I serve, then I don't need a God like that because he is not big enough for me. I am enthralled with the faith in the God who radically loves me and others in a way that I do not fully understand, who set all of this in place in a way I don't understand. And I feel that way because based on my life and my experience and what I see in the lives of many of you, when I look over some of the tragedies in my life and in some of our lives of these unanswered prayers that we didn't have that worked on us and shaped us and grew us up and made us better people, when I look at the origins of Keystone, that was such a painful experience before this even started. But God was rolling out some plan that would eventually impact thousands of people here 
But in that beginning time frame, they're like, God, where are you? We need help. I don't get it. The fact that all but one of his disciples were killed, martyred through beheadings and executions because they couldn't stop sharing the good news of Jesus, that is undeniable. What would it take for you to lay your head down on a guillotine and not recant the things you saw and experienced about Jesus so that the blade wouldn't come down on your head? You'd have to be convinced. My goal for you today is to let, them know, let you know that there is an avenue to faith, an avenue by which you can pack up all of your objections and your questions and put them in your backpack and carry them with you to see for some future perspective. And you can become a Christ follower today. So here's my suggestion. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower and you have doubts, welcome to the faith. Please stay focused on the undeniable until the unexplainable gets clear as you continue into the future. And if you've been coming for a while and this whole question thing is your hang-up, if you feel like you could trust Jesus, if only you could get all of your questions answered, it'll never happen. Sorry to say this, you're not smart enough, you don't have enough insight, you are not infinite enough to be in the same league with God. So please hear the undeniable and realize that faith comes before all the questions are answered. That's why they call it faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. If you listen to all that and you're still kind of riding the brakes of faith, would you please continue or to begin praying a simple prayer like this? God, if you are to be known, I want to know you more and before I get all my questions answered. Help me know you. There are some of you, though, here today that have really heard enough. You know there's something undeniable, and yet you still have questions, and that is so, so cool. You're like so many of us. You still have some things you can't explain, but you've heard enough. And today I want to challenge you to consider crossing the line of faith and pray. In fact, this is my prayer for us today. This is my prayer for me. And so what I'd like to do is end the service with a prayer. And then while you're standing to, uh, to end in prayer, you may gladly stand. Um, I would like you to consider thinking about making this prayer your prayer too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent your Son into the world not to be a Savior, but to be my Savior. I believe that when he died on the cross, he died for my brokenness. I believe that if I place my trust in you, you will accept me with all my doubts, all my fears, all my brokenness, all my flaws. And you'll accept me as your son or as your daughter. So thank you for making what is undeniable so clear, even in the middle of the unexplainable. We thank you for today. And as we move into this week, give us the courage to wrestle with some of these questions.
In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.